Well, I want you to take your Bibles out this morning, and if you have your electronic devices, you can go to uversion.com, look up uh, live events, look for Portico, Mississauga, and you can track along that way. And ushers, if you get an armful of Bibles together in here over in the other venue, hold your hand up real high. If you need to borrow a Bible during the message this morning, we've got one that you can borrow, and then you can take and just leave it on the seat at the end of the day. And if you'll keep your hand up, we've got the best ushers that are out there. They're going to take good care of you and make sure we're covered. As you get your Bibles this morning, take your notes out of your bulletin, and let's get over to the book of Romans chapter 10. And in a few moments, I'm going to read a text there, and we're going to read Romans chapter 10. As I mentioned, we are now in our seventh message of the series, What on Earth Am I Here For? And this is our final day. I cannot believe how quickly it's gone by. And first, I just have to say to you, you are an amazing church, absolutely amazing. You have memorized all the scripture verses. See, I knew it. As soon as you responded, I knew it. In fact, I could have any one of you, if I just pointed you out, you'd be able to stand up right now and give them all to me, right? Now it got a little quieter, so we're not going to do that. Actually, the reason I want to say thank you to you, this has been so much fun in the series. Here's why. You've been coming to the services on the weekend. You've been memorizing scripture verses, and then you've been getting together in small groups. We've had over 40 small groups, plus the large group experience taking place here at the church, and our lives have been changed. They are being deeply impacted as we're learning together. What on earth am I here for? And I just want to say a big thank you to all of you that lead our small groups. We call them community life groups. But our leaders that are leading our small groups, thank you for opening up your home and for hosting. You're giving people an opportunity to come in. And it's not just a study time. It's a time where we're opening up God's Word, we're digging deeper, and we're growing deeper. And that's what this uh, the whole journey has been about together. So today, we're wrapping up our series. We're going to continue to grow. But as we wrap up our series, we're going to talk about our fifth calling. We've talked about five different callings. If you can't remember them, let me give them to you real quick. The first calling was this. We've discovered that according to the Bible, God says, I have called you to be loved, to be loved. That God created us, not as an accident, by intention. And God says, I created you for this purpose so that I could love you. Just pour my love out on you. Now that is staggering to contemplate. Because everything we face in this world feels like it's a conditional exchange. It's a contractual relationship. If I do this, you'll do this. If I respond this way, you'll respond this way. But God says, no, understand something. You were created by me for me to love you. I just want to be able to love you. And often we struggle with that because that seems so foreign to us. To think that the creator of this universe created me created you. And he says, now all I want to do is I just want to love on you. And we go, what do I need to do? And he says, nothing. Well, I need to get good. No, I already love you. Now we'll talk later about what separates us from that love. But God says, you were created to be loved. Here's the second thing we learned. It was our second calling. You were created to belong. And we talked about the importance of, we use words like a family or a body or a building, a temple. We use metaphors that describe this. But God says, my, my reason for creating you is that you wouldn't go through life alone. That there's no more lone rangers. There's no more isolation. No one is ever supposed to go through life all by themselves. Now, some people tend to be a little more introverted personalities. You notice that. Some tend to be a little more extroverted. Extroverted people, they love all the parties. They're the ones like, woohoo. Introverts tend to prefer their space. So you can usually tell when you go to church early, the introvert will sit in a seat and then put his Bible on one side and a coat and books and everything on the other side. And then everybody's welcome to be one chair removed. Ever see that? 
And the uh, extrovert, they move everything out of the way and they would like to put everything in a circle and have a big party. They would just change the whole room around if they could. Regardless of our personality and our temperaments, here's what God says. I created you to belong so that you wouldn't do life alone. That means you'll never, ever be by yourself. Here's the challenge. We sometimes choose to pull away, and God says, no, I want you to take a step towards people. I want you to get connected to me and get connected to my family. Now, just take a moment. Look around the room, whatever venue you're in. Look around the room and get this. These are all your brothers and sisters. Go ahead, look around. Look at them. Isn't that amazing? Like, we're all family. Can you do a family cheer this morning? There you go. The first five rows, you're all in. Extroverts at the front, introverts were at the back. We're all good. We're all family together. You might be thinking to yourself, yeah, but the guy who cut me off coming to the church parking lot, that's not so much my brother today. Well, you're going to forgive him. You're going to get over that. But God says, that's what I created you. I created you to belong. Here's the other thing. We talked about a third calling. You're created to be like Jesus. Created to be like Jesus. God said, you, you don't have to be perfect, but I will by my spirit perfect you to become like my son Jesus. So as you give your life to Christ and you say yes to Jesus, he goes, I'm going to make you more and more. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit and I'm going to change character. I'm going to change attitudes. I'm going to change a lot of those issues. Anybody have bad attitudes? Just check in, four of us, good. All right, I'm going to change those attitudes that we sometimes have in our lives. God says, I'm going to work on you by my Holy Spirit. And before I'm finished, you're going to become like my son Jesus. Now, how many of you feel like you're Jesus right now? I didn't think I'd get a hand on that one, so I didn't raise my hand either. Because we know we got a long way to go. But that's the beautiful part. God says, not only did I create you to love you and I created you to belong to my family, I created you to become like my son Jesus. And my spirit is working on you. Sometimes we're a little resistant, but he said, I will work Christ in you. And eventually, you will reflect the glory and the image of Jesus. That's amazing. That means when we talk to each other and when we really choose to use the right attitude, the right words, the right uh, responses, that we are being Jesus to each other, we're being Jesus to the world, and we're beginning to reflect the glory of Christ. That's a wonderful, wonderful calling. That was our third calling. Our fourth calling, we talked about this last week, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Rick. I created you. You were created to bless. You were called to bless. Now you go, well, what do you mean by that? If you weren't here last week, real quickly... We talked about the fact that all of us are very unique. Our temperament, our personality, our backgrounds, our experiences, our families, every dynamic I have in my life makes me completely different from you. You are completely different from somebody else. If you don't know that to be true, get married. You'll discover it immediately. You are different from each other. It's, it's a truth. But God says, the beauty of the way I created you is I don't want you to change all of that. I want you to use that to bless me and to bless others, that your uniqueness becomes a gift. And so he says, I want you to use, we talk about it in this language, I want you to use your shape, spiritual gift, your hearts, your abilities, your personality, and all your experiences. That's your shape. It's what makes you who you are. I want you to make your shape and bless me and bless the world. Now, if you don't know your shape, if you don't know how all of that mixes together, then what I want you to do is I want you just in your notes, just take your pen or type it into your notes. I want you to write this down. Just write down Tuesday, November the 5th, 7 p.m. You got that? What is the day? Tuesday. The date? 
November the 5th, 7 p.m. You go, are you inviting me to your house for coffee? No, I'm not. Your family, I don't have enough room for all of you. Here's what I will invite you to do. I'm inviting you to come to the church. We are going to do, we're going to continue our large group experience, and we're going to take everybody through shape. So if you've always wanted to discover, maybe you've been through it before, or you've never gone through it before, we want you to come to the church, and we're going to do a large group experience, and we're going to discover our shape together. And we're going to talk about all of those areas, and at the end of it, here's what I know to be true. When you're finished, you're not only going to walk out of our time together going, wow, I know my shape. You're going to know why God created you uniquely and how to use that so that you can bless God and you can bless the rest of this world. So be sure to sign up for that. And we're going to run for the, uh, on the Tuesday nights, starting on Tuesday, November the 5th. Well, let's get our Bibles out this morning because we're going to get into our fifth calling. And I want to quickly wrap this up so that we can spend some time at the end of the service celebrating what Christ has done for us. In Romans chapter 10, go to verse 8. We're going to look at our, our fifth calling. And here it is. You are called to be sent. Called to be sent, and we're going to explore this now. So here's what it says, Romans chapter 10. The word of faith that we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who puts trust in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone, I love this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we love that all the way up to there, no problem. So this is the picture of what salvation is, that if we confess and we believe in our heart and we call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, you do that, welcome to God's family. He's just waiting to pour his love out on you. Now watch what it says. Well, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So Paul, writing to these new believers, tells them all about this new salvation experience. And then he follows it up and he goes, this is one of the most important things that followers of Jesus do. They go to share the good news. They are sent to proclaim. So in your notes, I want you just to write it down somewhere across the top. You are called to be sent. God created you not only to love you, not only to belong, not only to become like Christ, not only to bless Him and to bless others, but you are called to be sent. And nowhere do we see this more powerfully than when Jesus gathered His group of followers together and just before He leaves this world, He calls them up and He says, Hey guys, I want to hang out with you. I want you to meet me. And he gives them this location. So they all show up there. And when Jesus gets them there, this is found over in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And he gets them there and he begins to share a few words. And here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's fascinating. So they're all listening to Jesus. Now get the picture. This is the guy they followed for a number of years. This is the guy who was uh, betrayed. He was falsely accused. He was executed. He was raised from the dead by the power of God. Now he's walking around for 40 days. He's appearing to people. and They're going, whoa, this is the guy who's raised back to life again. And he goes, I want to meet with you guys. So they all get together and he says, you're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses. 
They're not quite sure what that means. He goes, you're going to share, you're going to tell the story here in, in, in Jerusalem, then you're going to go to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And they're probably thinking to themselves, going, yeah, okay, if, you know, if we're following you, that's all good. It's what happens next that they weren't prepared for. Let me read it. It's in verse 9. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. So Jesus finishes explaining his whole, you are called to be sent mission. And then suddenly he begins to ascend and he disappears from their presence. I think that shocked them. Like if we were there and Peter was a part of that crowd, I think Peter probably would have turned around at that point and go, okay, now what do we do? Like he calls us out here to this remote place. He tells us all this stuff and then uh, he's gone. What do we do next? The beautiful part is they did exactly what Jesus said to do. They went, they waited, they were filled with the Spirit and little did they know what God was about to do. God was about to send them to the very ends of the earth. They didn't know how the plan was going to work. All they knew is Jesus said, as the Father has called me, I am calling you. As the Father sent me and I fulfilled my mission, I am going to send you on mission and I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth and you're going to be my witnesses. That's why Paul could write to the Roman church and he goes, this wonderful message of salvation is so life transforming. But unless people go, how will they know? Think about it. How did you hear the message? How was it that you first heard? Who told you the story of good news? Was it your parents? Was it a good friend? Were you invited maybe to a special meeting? Did you attend a special gathering somewhere? Did you pick up a track? Somebody was sent. And somebody responded to their calling in life, and they did what God called them to do. Here's what I know to be true. Often when we get together... We don't think about that as a calling for us individually. I would venture to say, you probably never thought about that. Well, that's what I'm supposed to do. When you read Romans 10, you go, well, that's the pastors. That's for Pastor Jeff and Pastor Doug and Pastor Johnny or Pastor Dwayne. That's what they're supposed to do. But what we find Jesus tells us, all of us are sent on mission. All of us collectively together have an incredible opportunity. And I'm going to show you how that works. So I want you to take your notes out this morning. And we're actually going to look at how do we embrace this calling and actually fulfill what Jesus called us to do. I'm going to give you three steps of faith, three real important steps of faith. You were made for this mission. And listen, I should almost whisper it. If you choose to take this mission, if you choose to embrace it, it will change your life. You go, oh, Doug, you've said that before. No, trust me. I had no idea how much God was going to radically change my world when I said yes to Him. Because I did what most people do. I said, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But there was a moment when I realized I had to say yes to this last calling. Are you prepared to be sent? And in my world, my small, narrow way of thinking, I thought, okay, I was living in Alberta, and I was thinking, okay, God, you're probably going to use me. And And I actually went and he called me into full-time vocational ministry as a pastor. And I thought, I'll probably live in this area for the rest of my life. Little did I know that God would have me in places around the world. He would have me living here in this part of the world. He'd have me living in the States. It has been a riot. Hasn't it, Laura? Okay, just checking. Just want to make sure. Because a riot could be two things, you know. It could be a really good thing or a bad thing. But it has been an unbelievable experience. We often talk about this together. We will go... Did you ever believe that this is where God would take us? So you're listening to me right now and you're thinking, well, that's that's not going to happen to me. It is. 
Not the way it happened for me. But if you'll embrace your calling to be sent, God will use you. Today, when you leave this place, it is not an ordinary day. It is a God-appointed divine mission that you're on. When you sit down and have lunch, you may stare into the eyes of a person that is waiting for an expression of the compassion and love of Christ. And it might be a simple smile or a minimum 15% tip. You got that, right? It might be either two of those things that could really communicate out the difference that you're going to make. Three steps of faith. Here they are. Let me give them to you. We're going to take them. We're going to run with them. Number one, here it is. Pray that people will say yes to Jesus. When Jesus calls us to be sent on mission, it is your job, it is my job to pray that people will say yes to Him. Now you might be thinking, well, that's a little overly simplistic. Like seriously, Doug, are we supposed to pray about that? Yeah, we are. Here's why. I know that when it comes to prayer, we do a lot of talking about prayer. We attend a lot of seminars on prayer. We read a lot of books on prayer. We share a lot about prayer. But we seldom really pray. In fact, think about it. The last big challenge you faced in your life, maybe it was finances or marriage, relationship or work, some difficulty or planning your career, did you first pray or did you first try to strategize how you're going to fix everything? Just be real honest about this for a minute. Because I'm just like you are. You know, when a challenge comes along, the first thing I go, oh man, I can figure this out. And then all of a sudden you go, I'm not supposed to figure this out. I'm supposed to pray about this. And then God, what does the Bible say? God will give us the wisdom that we need to be able to understand. That's why prayer is such a powerful thing. So I want us to embrace a step of faith that is often neglected. I want you to begin to pray for the people that you are in contact with to say yes to Jesus. So immediately, we all have different intersecting relationships. The people that you connect with are very different than the people that I connect with. So think what will happen when we begin to pray. There's a verse. There's two verses, actually, I'm going to have you look at. The first one in your notes is Romans 1, and we'll put it on the screen for you. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Now leave that up just for a moment. Let me explain something. This is Paul writing to the believers, and he's saying, I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news, the message about Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God that's at work saving everyone who believes. Paul says, there is a dynamic at work in the gospel message that when you mention the work of Christ, you're not just trying to mentally share something. The Holy Spirit is at work in the hearts and the lives of people. So when we pray, what we're doing is we're praying for the people that we're in proximity to might be Bill, Steve, Mary, Deborah, whatever the names are, whoever your circle of friends, family, co-workers are, when you pray for them, what you're praying is you're saying, Holy Spirit, I want you to open their heart up to the power of the gospel because God is at work rescuing us. Do you understand that? That it's His heart to bring people back to Him. So He sends us out and He goes, all I want you to do is to be the salt, the aroma, the flavor, the presence of Christ. I want you to pray for the people around you. I want you to do something right now. Get your pen or in your electronic device. I want you to write down the name of the three people closely associated to you that you travel in and around probably every week that you should be praying for. Just write them down real quick. I'll give you 10 seconds. Do it. All right, as you're thinking about those names and you're writing them down, I want to take you now to the next verse of Scripture. 
As you're praying for these people and you're praying, God, I want them to experience the wonder of who you are and to know why on earth they're here as well. Look at this verse of Scripture. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Here's what Paul said. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. Who is the exact likeness of God? Look at that first line. Satan, who is the God of this world, what has he done? He has, what is it? Blinded. 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 Sometimes we go, why don't people understand the good news about Christ? We forget that there is an adversary waging war against our souls and against the souls of our neighbors and our friends and our family, and he is trying to blind them to the goodness of Christ. So when we're praying, what we're really doing is we're praying, God, not only make their heart receptive to the gospel, because the power of the gospel is going to change them, but I want to, I want to pray, Father, that you take the blindness and that you thwart Satan's work, because Satan is trying to destroy their lives. You know, sometimes we get so frustrated with people, don't we? And we go, what is wrong with them? Why can't they see that? Why can't they understand that God loves them? Where is the miss on the whole story? What we forget, it's not just an intellectual exercise. This is a spiritual activity. So Satan is working overtime. How does, he, how does he blind them? He puts up obstacles. He gives them power. He gives them prestige. He gives them opportunity. Sometimes he gives them religion. Did you know that religion is one of the best ways that Satan uses to blind us to truth? He gets us immersed in man-made activities, so much so that we get consumed with perpetuating religion And we forget that God has called us into relationship. So when I say, pray that people will say yes to Jesus, what I'm praying and what I'm asking you to pray about, pray that they will be receptive to the gospel and pray that their minds will be open and protected, that Satan will not block them to the truth, that God has called them to love them, that there's a heavenly Father that's created them, that deep in their own hearts, and the Bible says in our hearts, eternity calls out to know God. That means I might not know, they might not know, all the truth about Jesus. But God has created us and wired us in a way that we are constantly asking questions. We're constantly pursuing different activities. We are looking for truth. And often all the enemy is doing is blinding their minds. So we pray in order that that can be removed. Does that make sense? All right, that's what we need to do. That's our step of faith. Go back to your notes. Here's the second one. Our second step of faith, you are called to be sent. Give to help others go. Give to help others go. Now, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, immediately you go, that's physically impossible. How is one person or two people or 10 people ever going to do that? But here's what Jesus knew that they didn't understand. He wasn't going to just send a couple of them. He was going to empower them with his spirit. He was going to resource them together. And through the mutual sharing and support of one another, he would be able to raise up an army of people, a whole movement of people that would be a part of God's family, and through his means, he would send them out around the world. Well, in first century Jerusalem, he did it by means of persecution. Remember that? They, they all sort of hung around Jerusalem for a little while, and then all of a sudden, persecution took place, and we we're going, oh, no, not persecution. But when you look at persecution, God used persecution. He allowed that Because then the church was spread out and it started to move up in towards Macedonia and up into Asia. And God was moving his people out. Why did he do that? Well, they thought they were running for their lives. They were looking for safety. 
So some of them packed up, they got their families, and they moved all the way up, and they were moving up towards, you know, Greece and Italy and some of those destinations. And then they, you know, they got settled down, and they got their new homes, they got their new businesses, and then all of a sudden, they start talking to their neighbors. Hey, do you know about Jesus? Who's Jesus? Do you know anything about this rabbi that lived? No, don't know a thing about it. And they start telling them the story of Jesus. And all of a sudden, these Gentile people are starting to go, well, that sounds like a pretty cool story. Can I believe in Jesus too? And they go, yeah, I guess that's okay. And they start winning people to faith in Jesus Christ. God uses remarkable means. Look at our congregation. We are from around the world. We are representative of nations of the world. That means you have come here for a place for either freedom or opportunity or experience, but you still have connections back to your own countries where you're praying for and you're supporting people there as well. One of the things that we do together as a church is we believe that we are called to help send people, global workers, to help reach the nations of the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but on our little giving envelope cards, they're in the, many of you pull them out and just put your, your gifts in there, and we appreciate you doing that. But there's a second line on this card, and some people just fill out their name and they put the stuff and they put their tithe in. We have a second line which is for our offering, our over and above giving. And this is the part, it's called Give Hope Every Day. And we do this, Laura and I do this as well. We give over and above our tithe, and we give to help send global workers around the world so that people can hear the message of Jesus Christ. We have a responsibility to care for our local church, so we tithe here. But our over and above offerings, we give so that we can make a difference. Imagine the remarkable change that will take place when together... We give and we send workers around the field. I really believe there's going to be a day in heaven where you're probably going to have one of these experiences. I think I'll have an experience like this too. And we're going to be in heaven and we're all family and we're all going, yay, it's good to be home. It's good to be God. And there's going to be somebody's going to walk up to us. And they might walk up to you or they might walk up to me and they'll just look at us and they're going to go, thank you. And you're going to have that blank stare on your face like I often do. For what? And they're going to go, thank you for making a difference for me. And I'll probably look at them and I'll go, I don't even know you. They go, you don't know me personally, but what you did changed my life. You gave so a global worker could go around the world. You gave and you supported a family that was in need in a developing nation and you gave food and teaching and education and you gave the opportunity for the gospel. You gave when emergency situations came up and Christian workers were on the ground and not only did they show the love and compassion of Christ, but they gave the message of hope to us. You gave and even though you didn't know you were doing it in this way, I am a result of your gift. Friends, that's how this works. It is so powerful. It's not just about some cash or a check or a donation online that disappears and nothing happens with it. It's about the transformation of hearts and lives around the world because global workers are representing us as a church together. That's why we champion give, give hope every day. Give a bit. Make a difference. Transform a person's life. Transform their heart. Paul wrote to the believers in Corinth. They were, re- they were relatively brand new. But he wrote about the importance of giving. And it's 2 Corinthians 9. We'll put the the reference on the screen, but let me read it for you. Here's what Paul said to these believers. He said, I know about your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. And your enthusiasm, get this, has stirred most of them to action. Now God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you're going to be able to abound in every good work. 
He's the one who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, and he will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He goes on to say this, Men are going to praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Paul was saying to these new believers, he's going, you don't understand all of this right now, but when you give faithfully, God says, you test me and you be faithful in your giving. God says, I'm going to abundantly bless you again. So you give, I'm going to bless. You give, I'm going to bless. And the more you have, the more I just want you to give it away. And he goes, I want you to practice this gift of generosity. And so what they were doing is they were giving their gifts to Paul. And then Paul, of course, was distributing those gifts. And Paul says to them, you don't even understand the power of this principle. People are praying in locations and cities and in nations. They're blessing the Father because of you and you have never met them. That is so cool. I think every time we give and every time it's responding, somebody is praying somewhere. I have given to missions all of my life. That means every time I'm giving, I don't do it for this benefit, but I just think it's a cool reward that there are people giving thanks to the Heavenly Father and they're going, hey, we just want to thank you that somebody was faithful in the giving. Friends, we are so immersed with all the, all the good things we could possibly want in life here. I mean, we are afflicted, right? We are afflicted with prosperity. But if we live generosity in our lives and we give to support others so that others can go, then we have people blessing us for what we're doing. I want you to watch the side screens. Here's a little bit of a video clip. You might not know how to get involved. You may not even know who are the people that are doing this. I want you to see this. We have something coming to Portico. God created us to follow Him in freedom and liberty to walk with dignity and joy in the world he made for us. Unfortunately, most people in this world are enslaved in ideologies, religions, poverty, and above all, they're alienated from the God who loves them. The message of Jesus is a message of freedom. Jesus came to set people free from every kind of oppression. Freedom from spiritual blindness, freedom for the orphan, freedom from the grip of poverty. Freedom for the prisoner, freedom from abuse, and freedom for the voiceless. The mission of the church, our mission, is to proclaim good news for the poor and deliverance for the oppressed. We're called to act in love and compassion in ways that open ears to hear and hearts to receive. Global Summit 2013, Freedom will give you an opportunity to engage with international leaders from the front lines of this mission, to engage with select, dynamic leaders who live and work in the midst of the most needy of our world. They're coming to major cities across Canada, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Toronto. This is your opportunity to participate in what God is doing around the world through His church and help set captives free. Hear how you can engage in a cause larger than yourself, Let's inspire each other as we work together with God to proclaim freedom in Jesus. Because when Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed. To learn more, visit us at globalsummit.paoc.org.
So we're actually partnering with our international missions office, and we're going to host right here in Portico on Friday and Saturday, November 1st and 2nd. We're going to partner with them to host the Global Summit, and it's called Freedom this year, and it's open for everybody to come. Here's what I need you to do. I do need you to go, and you can find the address there in the bulletin. I need you to go online and register for this reason. We're going to provide the meals. The meals are going to be provided, but we need to know you're going to be there because the last thing I want to do is have a 1,000 people show up and we didn't have enough meals prepared. Uh, but we want you to come. Friday and Saturday, you're going to have a chance to meet world-class leading, leading teachers, educators, equippers, workers. They're all coming here to tell us the stories of what's taking place. So you're going to get firsthand information. You get to interact with them. You can learn how to pray effectively. You can learn how to be strategic and maybe even how to partner in on some of these opportunities. So that's Friday, Saturday, November 1st and 2nd. In addition to that, because this is all coming, we were able to work out arrangements so that on Sunday, next Sunday, October 27th, and on Sunday, November the 3rd, we are actually going to feature in all of our campuses. We're going to have uh, speakers from around the world. So we're going to have global speakers here with us in the church. It's going to be a fantastic couple of weeks. Mark that down. One of our big steps, God says, I have called you to be sent. So not only do I want you to pray that people say yes to Jesus, and I want you to give so that you can help others go. Here's the third and final step, and we'll wrap it up with this one. Here's what it is. Go where you can right now. Go where you can right now. The moment that you say yes to Jesus, the moment you said yes, the moment that I said yes, something took place. There was an opportunity that God gave us. As soon as I accepted Jesus into my life, I didn't know everything. I didn't know all the different points of the Bible. I didn't, know, I didn't memorize all the Scripture verses you've memorized. I didn't have all of that in place. But God says, now that you've said yes to Jesus, I've got a job for you to do. And I thought, wow, he's going to take a risk on me? And he did. And he takes the same risk on you. He goes, now that you understand the good news and you've invited Jesus into your life, I don't expect you to know how to answer all the questions, but I want you to go. I want you to go where you can right now and just share the message of Christ with anybody you can. The three names that you wrote down earlier today in the service, I want you to go and share the message and the love of Christ with them as well. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, wherever you go, make disciples of the nations of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all my commandments. So our call is to be sent. And God says, I want you to make it real easy. Go where you can. You might not be able to go to international locations. You might not be able to, maybe you don't have the resource even to travel on some of the short-term missions teams that we have. But God says, all of us have our own Jerusalem. We have the place that we live, our apartment, our basement suite, our condo, our townhouse, our home, wherever it is that we live. We have opportunity by the neighbors around us. We have our co-workers. We have our extended family, our immediate family. We all have opportunity to go where we can. So by saying yes to Jesus, what God is saying, I want you now to tell people about Jesus. That's your calling. And why wouldn't we? When you realize that God says, I have called you to be loved, and I've called you to belong to my family, and I've called you to become like my son, and I call you to bless this world, and now I'm calling you to be sent. See, for me, it's not so difficult. When I look at my first four callings in life, look at all the things God has done for me, and he goes, hey, by the way, would you partner with me in the last one? And would you be the voice? That's why I say opportunities will come. One of the things that we need to do is make it a regular part of our prayer. Father, show me where I can present Christ every day. I try to remember to do this. I don't do it every day, but I try to remember to do it. When I get into the car and I leave my house in the morning, 
Before I back out of the driveway, I try to just do a short prayer and go, I don't know what meetings I'm going to be in today. I don't know all the people that I'm going to meet. I don't know what the experience of my life are going to be. But let me be Jesus to everybody that I'm about to encounter. So whatever that opportunity is, make me prepared. The Bible says that make the most of every opportunity. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have today. That doesn't mean you have to be a preacher. In fact, let me remind you, the Bible also tells us it's not my job to convict people of sin, so it's not a good way to win people. The first thing to go, you're a sinner. That doesn't always work well. They already know that. We all know we make mistakes and fail, right? Isn't that true? Yeah. Sometimes we're a little guilty of that. We point people out. I'm not supposed to point out people's sin. I'm supposed to point them to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will do the work of calling and cleaning. That's His job. And I'm glad he does, because if it was left up to us, we'd have a mass brawl going on. But God says, no, all I want you to do, be my partner, be with me. Just tell people. So wherever you go, go where you can now and make a difference. Here's what Jesus said. John chapter 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's our call. 2 Timothy 4, 5, Paul reminds Timothy of the very same teaching. He said, work at bringing others to Christ. That's the call of our life. I'm called to be sent so that others may know Jesus the same way. Can you imagine if all of us at Portico did this? We'd have to build another building. Wouldn't that be great? Go try that again. Edit. Pause the tape. Back it up. Can you imagine if all of us did that at Portico? We'd have to build another building. Now you got it. Okay, I just had to make sure. I thought, woo. Hear my heart. It's not whether they come to Portico or not. It's whether they come to Jesus. Our job is just reaching for Jesus. Churches are all different types, all different kinds. Let God work the details out. We just want to bring people to Jesus so that they can experience the love of God, the forgiveness of sins. That's what we're called to. Psalm 67, verse 2. I'll put it on the screen. I love this. It's out of the Psalm. Living Bible paraphrase. Send us around the world with the news of your saving power and your eternal plan for all mankind. That is the heart of a psalmist praising God, going, God, this is what my heart beats for. Send all of us around the world. Let us take the news of your saving power and your eternal plan for all mankind. What is his eternal plan? It's what we've been talking about. What on earth am I here for? I am here so that I can experience the love of God and be a conduit to others with the very same love of God. Can we do it together? Yeah, we can. Can the world know? You bet it can. If the church will rise up, it will be unstoppable because Jesus said, I'll take care of hell, you take care of the rest. All right? Let's do it together. Let's pray. Father, this morning, that's what we're called to. That's what we believe in. And so we ask by your Spirit, may you fill us with the boldness and courage that you give us. May every conversation we have, even today, be just saturated in the grace and the love of Christ. May we see every moment of this week as a providential opportunity. And where fear and sort of timid activity comes into our heart, we pray, Holy Spirit, give us the courageousness that comes from your empowerment. And may we speak life and share good news to those that need to hear. So we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.